0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast. And now, here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started.
1: Hey, thank you, Joseph. This is Casey, your host on Training with Casey. And today, we're going to talk about luring and why you can't lure me into luring. And There are pros for luring. And for those of you that uh, don't know that term of luring, um, there's a lot of trainers that train by operant conditioning and mostly using free shaping or some form of shaping. And free shaping is where you don't demonstrate to the animal what you want it to do. You just stand there and wait till it does something more like what you wish it would do. Okay, so if you wanted to teach an animal to go out a door, you might stand in the area with them and then click and treat when they turn toward the door. And the more they go toward the door, the the more of a treat they get or the faster they get a treat. Um, and so, you know, you want them to go out the door and they eventually figure it out. Now, that's not luring, that's shaping, but it's not very fast. And I know because I did this de- this demonstration over and over and over again at the National Zoo when I was there. I picked somebody out of the audience and I picked some behavior that they were doing that was, you know, pretty obvious to everybody. It would usually in- involve a movement. So like it wouldn't be, uh, you know, the person paying attention. It would be the person touching their head or the person moving their right arm, something like that. And everybody had a good time. The volunteer that was being trained liked it. The people in the audience had a great time. Yeah. But here's the thing, over and over again, the person being trained was the last one to understand why they were getting rewarded. And the audience normally picked it up way faster. Well, why not? They're on the outside looking in. So they can see the motions that the person makes. Meanwhile, the person on the inside looking out, they're trying to be helpful, They're trying to cooperate. They're trying to do a good job for me. So when I asked them, why did you get reinforced? They would say things like that. Oh, I was smiling at you. Oh, I was looking at you. Oh, I was cooperating with you. But I don't know they're doing those things. That's all inside their head. I can't see it. So I was choosing behaviors I could see. I don't care if the person was hitting themselves in the head. And I bridged every time they whacked themselves on the head. The people in the audience would get it. And the person that was, you know, being trained was the last person to get it. And that's when I really realized that I didn't want to train animals that way. Well, I'm not the only one. So a lot of people that were trying to do free shaping started doing luring. And luring is where you pass food in front of an animal's nose and lead it through a path that will create the behavior or nearly the behavior you want. So a, really, uh, a couple of really easy ones would be taking a horse and putting a carrot between the horse's knees so that the carrot uh, is behind the knee and the horse bends his head like a, making a bow to get the carrot. And if you lower the carrot and put it back far enough, the horse will often go down on one knee in order to reach that carrot. And that looks pretty dramatic. And I can understand why people might want to do that. But here's the thing. I can do that with a target in less time, especially if the horse isn't that crazy about carrots. So why would I bring a carrot in? I can just ask them. Uh, you know, I just can't get over how basic this is. If we're not effective communicators with our animals, we are not trainers. Training is not about trial and error, it's about coming into accord, aligning our purposes, working together with purpose and intent. And that's what you get with targeting, but that's not what you get with luring, because with luring, you have a different mental process going on. With targeting, the animal sees that the uh, the information is being passed, and when that information has been, you know, successfully translated into action, good things will come, you know, treats and uh, bridges and praise but the treats are not stuck into the path of the behavior in a distracting way. That's really important. Because think about your own life. Have you ever followed somebody home in a car? I mean, legally, right? So if you've done that, could you get there again on your own? And I have had to, follow people when I'm in a different city or something like that, or they'll take me in their car and I might go a hundred times to the same place and never really know how to get there because I'm distracted while we're traveling. I'm distracted by talking. I'm distracted by looking at everything that's around me, which is not to say I'm looking at every you know, turn that we're taking or anything like that. So the net effect is when you are placing your attention on food, you are not harvesting information about the behavior that we're working on. And we see this, uh, they call it situational blindness or attentional blindness, where Uh, Well, the classic one, right, is two basketball teams. So one has white shirts and one has gray shirts. And they say, how many passes does the white team make? And so you watch it and you count all the passes and you get to the end and you're ready to uh, win the, you know, little quiz. And they say, oh, um, did you see the gorilla go across the path? What? I didn't see the gorilla at all. And I was definitely paying attention to the basketball playing, but not to the thing that they were going to ask me. And they purposely directed my attention elsewhere, knowing that I would not be able to collect both types of information at once. And when we teach people to watch videos, we tell them, watch once for each thing you're observing. So if you're watching a training video, and you see, uh, you want to see how did I use bridging, watch only for that. Because if you also watch for the use of touch, for the terminal bridge, or how many correct behaviors, you can only watch for one of those things at a time. Because you simply can't switch your focus back and forth quickly enough in real time. So we know that when an animal focuses on following food, he's not focused on learning what behavior he was going through. So with luring, you get the appearance, the, and it's pretty quick usually, of a learned behavior. But just because the animal moves fluently does not mean that they understand what they did that was successful. And it also works for many behaviors. But stay tuned, because here are the cons. In luring, there's no conscious learning or knowledge. The animal is just following a track of food. He's not learning about a process And this is a big problem for shaping too by the way because a colleague yeah you you watch as you train animals you watch and see what's happening and what's working what doesn't and this colleague noticed that even though you got quick results with free shaping or she did at least free shaping and or luring that, you didn't get the same result as you did with targeting. So she took two groups of um, children and taught one one way and taught the other group with bridge and target. And she said they actually, you know, got the behavior approximately equally fast. But the big difference was that the children with bridge and target training knew exactly what they did that resulted in their reward or their reinforcer. And the other children didn't know. They were successful, but they had no idea why. And I'm not happy with that. I know how powerful it is when the animal consciously understands what the goal is and what he has to do to meet that goal. That's the basis of self-correction and the animal driving the behavior. So another con with luring, as I mentioned before, is you're literally distracting the dog's mind from the information he needs to not just get that behavior correctly that time, but to actually learn it and affiliate it with a cue and so forth. Uh, Then you have the situation where the lure must be faded out at some point. And spoiler, the trainer or the client also has a problem with this because they have a habit of trailing food in front of animals' noses, and that can be a hard habit to break. In fact, a lot of trainers that um, work a lot with food, it's like they can't train without it. And here's another spoiler. You don't even need food to train an animal, okay? Okay. There's a lot of things you need, but food doesn't have to be one of them. So the lure must be faded out. And that's hard for the client, but it's also hard for the trainer. And it's a little, you know, the animal's like, well, why? Why? I kind of like that thing about getting food. Now you can't use this for every behavior. So let's think about it. Um, Let's say you need to do a, you have to collect blood from the fluke of a dolphin, all right? So you're going to target the rostrum, or you can lure the rostrum, okay? But how are you going to lure the flukes? How are you going to get a fluke station using a lure? Hmm... Maybe that's why marine mammal trainers are very good at targeting, or at least they used to be when I was in that crowd. Now, here's a fourth thing, or oh, oh, another behavior. Let's say, you know how, how people will teach a dog to ignore the food on top of his head? So let's say you do that. You can't lure that. You just can't. It won't work. So there's limitations and actually a lot of limitations um, using luring. So what do I do instead? Well, of course, I use bridge and target. So instead of food that I pass in front of the animal, like I'm, you know, well, like I'm luring them, right? Instead of that, I present a target, teach them to touch it. And then I will place the target in a series of positions. And as they reach each position, I'll bridge them. And then show them the next position. And sometimes I'll actually show them the entire sequence at once. So let's say I want an animal that's, you know, standing in front of me to turn in a circle clockwise. So what I can do with that animal, depending on what kind of circle we want, and there's so many kinds of circles, let's pick one. Uh, Let's say we're going to just ask the animal to turn a small circle around an axis. And I will often use my hand to create the axis. So I'll put my hand down on the side of the animal's rib cage. And if I'm going to turn in a clockwise direction, it will be on the right side of the rib cage. That gives them a pivot center, okay? And then I will take my target and do a series usually of eight positions, showing them that there's eight steps to make a circle. Now, once we've covered those eight steps, I'll name it and say this is a circle. And I don't care if the animal doesn't have it perfectly yet, because we're going to build it perfectly together. But they need, we need something to talk about. We need a way to talk about what we're building. So I'm going to go ahead and name it. And I'm very aware that that breaks the rules of operant conditioning. Another spoiler alert, I break A lot of rules of operant conditioning and it does me very well. Okay, so hand on the right side of the rib cage, targeting the animal's head all the way around till they're back in the position in eight steps. That's a circle clockwise. X. Now we talk about you did a great job. You did that really well. Here, have a treat. You want to try it again? All right, you ready? So here's your pivot center, and it's going to be eight steps to the right. Here we go. X, x, you're done. You did it. Now, guess what, guys? I have to virtually correct turns clockwise in two trials. And now the animal understands exactly what I want. And now I can encourage them using the intermediate bridge and I take my target out and I set my pivot. And now I just give a cue that's based on the target. Ready? You know, clockwise, good, 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 good. good. That's outstanding. Now let's look at counter. Counter is counterclockwise. Hand goes on the left rib cage, passing my hand around through and behind the uh, hand on the rib cage. X. Make sure they understand there's eight steps involved. Now that's counter. X. That's very good. Now, can you do clock and then counter? Are you ready? Good. Here's clock. Good, 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 good. good. Good, 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 very good. That was clock and counter And there we have it, folks. We've got a figure eight. And it's that easy. i probably stop there, give them a rest, let them process what they did, and then continue with that sometime later. So what are the pros of doing this this way. I can create any behavior except for perhaps involuntary bodily functions. For example, I can't target a bark. I can use a target to elicit a bark, but I can't target a bark. I can't target urination. You know, if if I need to, I test an animal's sugar in its urine, for example. I can't target emotional relaxation. I can condition that, but I can't target it. So there are some behaviors that I can't do this with. And here's another thing. Your results are going to be dramatically better if you're proficient, fluent then with the process. You need to be expert with your tools. You need to be expert with your tools. Uh, People that don't really understand how to use their tools make a mockery of the tool. I can't tell you how many people I've seen that have some weird idea of how most people use electronic colors, for example. Now, I don't use them. I can't use them with exotic animals. I don't want to use them with any animals because I have really good tools to do what I need to do. I've never needed an e-collar. As a matter of fact, I did try it. I've worked with e-collars and I hope to do more work because I do have an idea of how they could be used, but it's not the way most people use them. But anyway, so I will learn about that. But the one time I tried to use electronic collars seriously was because I had a dog that was not one bit aggressive, but he was a runner. And we had two acres and I wanted to let him have the whole two acres to run on. And it didn't work. Because after a while he figured out where the fence didn't work. And so then it no longer kept him on the property, and that was the end of that. So I just haven't found e-collars to work for me very well. But on the other hand, I've seen plenty of professionals use them beautifully, subtly, kindly, so that without even imposing discomfort on an animal. They cause the animal to immediately start to think about what he's doing and how he can change his environment. And it's so subtle and it's so fast and it's so kind. But I'll see people that are against electronic callers and they will caricaturize caricaturize the use of collars. They'll, you know, put them around their necks and turn them up at really high voltages or high um, stimulation, and it'll cause their heads to jerk around and so forth. And they talk about how cruel the use of e collars is. I'm gonna tell you what, it's no different than having a cell phone. In most cases, it really isn't any different. The way most of the colleagues that I know that use e-colors, that's how it goes. But I still am not going to use them because there's always a chance that the battery will go out and the animal may sense that. They may sense when the things are broken I think they fixed this to an extent, and hopefully completely, but there used to be a big problem where other people's radio signals could signal could stimulate your e collar. So uh, we had this problem also with the microphones that we used when I was a dolphin trainer, and the police might go by and send a radio transmission, and it might come over our microphone, or it might stimulate your dog's collar and create a problem there. Okay, so I got a little bit of field there. Let's get back to uh, the cons of bridge and target. You need to be proficient in your tool. Malcolm Gladwell says that It takes an average of 10,000 hours to really master something. So, how long is that? Well, a standard work year is considered to be 2,000 hours. So, that's five years of full time job, you know, 40 hour week application to your craft. Now, in short, Bridge and target requires you to be a better trainer. But you are required to be a better trainer. I don't think it's good enough to stand someplace and wait for the animal to want to do what you want it to do. I would get totally frustrated with that. And there have been a number of researchers that have criticized free shaping, specifically clicker training, because. They see the frustration that the animals exhibit because they're not being told what is wanted. The people stand around until the dog reads their mind. And the frustration can be blistering. Uh, Some of the animals just shut down. They just simply will not work under those conditions. So you really need to be able to explain to the animal what it is you want them to do. And this is very possible with bridges and targets. So that's the number one pro, and that is you can create any behavior, except for the involuntary behaviors I was talking about before, um, or you know things that are internal states and so on. It's very fast. It's amazing how quickly this can go. And I mentioned teaching the circle. It literally can be one or two trials. I've heard people go into a lot of detail on how to teach weave poles in agility. And we went through and taught a whole group of dogs, weave poles, it was only six, that's what we had there to work with, and it took one or two trials for every dog. And we didn't have any problems with the dogs popping out of the weed folds, which is the most common problem. Okay. So this takes us to the next pro. And that is that I can demonstrate a behavior. I can demonstrate any behavior that I need to show an animal. It leads to the flexible use of targets. For example, you, when I use bridges and targets, I can not only have an animal touch a target, but I can have them move in a certain relationship to the target. Like you do when a dog heals. You're not necessarily asking the dog to touch your leg, but you want him to keep his uh, shoulder as close to your knee as, you know, reasonably possible. Another example of a target is a look target where you focus the visual gaze. And there's all kinds of reasons to do that. Anyway, we end up with all these different ways to talk to animals, explain things to animals and to move animals. Just through our targeting skills. Now here's another thing. And I mentioned with the luring that if you needed the head of the animal to stay in the front, if if it was behavior that didn't involve the animal moving his entire body, but he had to move the back part of his body independently of the front, I don't see how Alora is going to help you, but I can target an animal. And again, it's so fast. I was at the Oakland Zoo and we targeted a series of hip and shoulder targets for uh, camels, I think. And I've done it for rhinos, and I've done it for giraffes. And these are animals where people can sometimes report that it's difficult to get a hip target. But we got hip targets really literally in less than a minute. It would be about a minute to do shoulder target, hip target. Can you move over here? Good, 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 good. good. So we get them to orient both their hip and their shoulder at my hands at the interface like the fence or the wall or the shoot wall and move into position. Now I could move from there to put a halter on or to do an examination or to give them a vaccine. And it literally took me less than a minute to get these hip and shoulder targets. So from that ability, we can also work animals blindly. So if you have a rhino and you need him to move his hip over towards you, he he may not be able to see your hand at all on his hip. But we can quickly teach an animal to understand which way to move, how far, how fast from the quality of touch with the target. So I can pulse off of that rhino's hip and not only move him, but move him in a single request in a direction that he cannot see and at the approximate speed that I want him to go. And then I can further refine that with intermediate bridges. Let's talk about one other thing, and that is rules of targeting. So I talked about some of the things that lures and targets are good for and some of the problems with them. And as you know, I'm not fond of training an animal without explaining what I want ahead of time. So here are some rules that I use when I'm targeting animals. And the first thing is, the first thing I do are teach the three essential targets. That would be the finger targets, the two finger targets, or the fist, back of the hand. You you can use any kind of target you want to. And for certain kinds of animals, we're going to always present or have certain targets. So I always have a two finger target with dogs, even though I could also use a fist or the back of a hand target. Okay. So we're going to do the finger targets, the pole target, which is just, just an extension of your reach and the station target, which is a remote target. With a station target, you're actually sending the animal away from you for a target, instead of calling him to you to target. Now, once I do those, I'm going to teach their hierarchy. And that's actually really important because many times in work situations, there will be more than one target present. So maybe I come into an animal's exhibit area and I call them to a two-finger target, but there's also a target pole floating in the water from some unknown mishap. And maybe there's a station target on the wall to send an animal there when they need to target them while another animal is working. So I want to make sure that even though there's three legitimate targets there, when I call the animal to my two finger target, he has no confusion and he immediately leaves any other target and comes to my fingers. Because in case of an emergency, I wanna always be able to take that animal with me. Okay, so that is the top priority. And when I say it's the first thing I teach, uh, when we start animals on bridge and target training, we teach the terminal bridge, the intermediate bridge, the two-finger target, the pole target, the station target, then the hierarchies, and then we teach the send-away, and that's five minutes of work, okay? That's how fast it is. But we do all of those things in that sequence. Now, other things that we... uh cover in the rules of targeting is we teach the animals about the intermediate bridge and counting in order to keep duration on a target. So we quickly create duration right after we do that list of other things I just gave you. And we also teach them about the pulsing target. And when you're pulsing, you always want to syncopate it. And we're going to teach them to understand the target initiation touch. That leads to touchback targeting. I can target any spot on an animal. And again, it's just so fast, it'll make your head spin. So we want the animal... To understand the pulse, we want to keep that pulse syncopated, not predictable. And we want the animal to respond to touchback targeting. Writing myself a note on that. I need to remember to put that into our materials. Okay. Now, the this isn't the rules of targeting, but there's one other thing that we need to think about, and that's safety in targeting and in your reinforcement ch- choice. And I've talked about this in some of the podcasts before, but we'll cover it again. If you're teaching a polar bear... You're not going to reach your hands in and target on a two finger target, or at least I don't recommend it. But I can use a pot lid on the outside of the uh, grate that separates me from the polar bears, and the pot lid has a handle, and the pot lid is round, you know it's circular and it's big enough. It completely covers my hand and I can reach any place there and call the animal to that spot. And I'm never exposing my fingers or my arm or any other part of my body to danger. I can do the same thing with a target pole. Okay, so I'm keeping things outside. With lions and tigers, I've often seen people use fly swatters gives a good size surface and it can be kept outside the, uh, you know, away from the cats. And if the cat were to get it away, it's not going to bat you in the head. So that's a good thing. It might slap your cheeks, but it's not going to, you know, crush your skull. Now, how about reinforcement? We will use the shoot feeders. We can roll stuff on the ground under the fence edges. We can put it in a bowl and present it to a dog. We can present it on a spoon, or um, I have seen goat's milk in spray applicators, in order to re- that are used to reinforce the um, lions and tigers and leopards and so on when they're eating. So they would just spray the goat's milk right into the cat's mouth. So long and short of it, I do not lure animals ever because it's not as fast as what I naturally do. And it doesn't build the same quality of learning and the same quality of relationship. I mean, even think about it for a minute. Once I was approached by some people that figured out how to give horses apple juice through a reservoir that shot it down a little tube right into the horse's mouth. These people were all excited about this, but it didn't work. I mean, it worked to shoot the stuff into the horse's mouth, but the horse was like, what the heck are you doing? What the heck are you doing? I didn't drink any applesauce. How did you get into my mouth to put this applesauce in there? How would you feel? How would you feel if all of a sudden apple juice just started shooting into your mouth? Whenever, especially whenever you did anything your boss liked. I mean, wouldn't that creep you out? Would me? So, Food. Ad infinitum, ad nauseum, does not build relationship. Animals have to eat. They like food. It's nice to give them food, especially when they're learning new things or when you're particularly happy about it. But it just doesn't have to be there all the time. Life is better. And I've told you stories about just telling my horse, I'm so sorry, I don't have food today can we just do this? And then we'll go out and graze and the horse will literally say yes. And we'll work together and then we'll go out and graze and, you know, we'll find treats outside or there's all kinds of good things can happen, but we're not in a transactional relationship where I give her one thing and she gives me one thing and I give her one thing. No, we are working together. We're on the same team. We're both Invested in creating this behavior and doing a really good job of it. And then we both celebrate together. It's a great way to be. Now, I hope to continue to talk about targeting because I feel like it's becoming a lost art. People and places that used to do really sophisticated targeting, that it was just so elegant and effective are now doing free shaping. And I'm like, why? It's almost like training went backwards for a while. Anyway, let's stop that. Let's bring back targeting. It's not that difficult. It's a lot of fun. And I kind of liken it to ballroom dancing or swing dancing, something like that. Or you guys probably have all kinds of other dances that you do now, hip hop and so forth. I mean, isn't it cool when you see those dancers working together in a team and it's seamless and it's dramatic and it's moving? You can have that with an animal, but it takes communication, fluent, subtle, elegant communication. But we both, both parties get a joy in that. You know, when you're working In a seamless way with your animal, it just sends chills up your spine. And they love it too. Like when my horse does a particularly good movement or whatever, she'll kind of like, yeah, it tells me she knows she just did a great job. And I just love hearing that. Okay, so we're going to talk more about targeting. We're going to bring it back. For those of you that are not familiar with it, or you're not using it fully as you could, this is an incredibly wonderful way to train. So more on that later. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for joining me. And please spread the word. Send this podcast to all of your friends that might be interested in training their animals or that are professionally training. It may be of interest to vets, groomers, all kinds of other people. So let me know if you have um, subjects that you would like to bring up. Tell me your opinions about what we talk about. It's okay if you don't agree with me. Just, you know, let us know what you think. And maybe sometime we'll talk to you about it. All right, take care, and see you next time. Take care, Joseph. Bye-bye now.
0: Hey, fans. Are you enjoying Training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com. Forward slash c slash casey cover also give the podcast a like share and comment thanks for joining us come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals stay at the top of the pack with casey this is joseph laughlin producer of training with casey see you next time